Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Take a moment to think about this question. How or when have you fallen out of grace? Maybe you're thinking that you've never been outside of grace, that is, outside of saving faith and salvation. Or perhaps maybe lately you've been wondering, questioning how you could possibly stand in God's grace because perhaps you are thinking about the sins that you have committed recently, the temptations that you are facing, or even maybe doubts that you are enduring, and then question if God's grace really is yours. Perhaps now you're confident that you stand in God's grace, but you can recall a time when you fell outside of that saving faith. Frankly, that happens to many people. For a time, we may think that we would rather hold on to a specific sin rather than confess it. We want to relish ourselves in engaging in things that are contrary to God's law, And then we want to say, no one can tell me that I can do otherwise. But then, by the grace of God, he crushes us with his law. He wakes us up. He brings us into repentance. And then we are restored through the gospel, through God's grace. So let's ask ourselves again, how or when have we fallen out of grace? Well, let's let's answer this in a way that we may not expect. We have to go back to Adam. We are all guilty of Adam's sin. That means we had fallen outside of grace much earlier than what we would have thought. That is, when Adam fell into sin. Because we have all been sinful from the time of our conception. We have all inherited that very sin of Adam. Adam's sin is passed on from generation to generation all the way down to us, and so we bear that blame. What this also means is that we first fell outside of this grace as a result of a foreign sin, a sin that we did not commit ourselves, a sin that occurred long before we were born, a sin that is outside of us. That is, we inherited that very sin of Adam And apart from faith in Christ, this makes us all thoroughly corrupt, dead in our sins and trespasses, even at the moment of our conception. And now comes the good news, the gospel, the good word of Jesus Christ. Because we had fallen out of this grace from a foreign sin, we are then restored into his grace from a foreign work by a worker who is outside of us. That is, through Jesus' blood and merit on the shedding of his blood on the cross and applied to us by God the Holy Spirit through the means of grace, through the word and the sacraments, we are then restored into God's grace and favor. This means that we are not restored to grace by our good works, or through our good intentions, or our resolve to do better, or anything else that we could possibly try to muster up before God. Instead, 
we are restored to grace by the mercy of God, by the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shed his blood in our place on the cross and rose from the grave for our justification. Today's gospel covers a multitude of topics. There's too much to cover in the time frame that we're generally accustomed to for the morning service. I really doubt that most of you would let me preach like Luther did, in which he preached for well over an hour on this gospel reading. But what we shall consider today is the fruit of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. So first, the resurrection makes it clear that we can be restored to grace. For if our Lord Jesus Christ can truly rise from the dead bodily, then we who were once dead in our sins and trespasses can be raised to life in our Lord Jesus Christ as well. We can be raised from spiritual death into spiritual life, added into God's family, restored to grace because Jesus is risen. That is, God graciously receives us into his family and he reconciles us sinners to himself. And this gets us to the next fruit of the resurrection, which is faith himself, faith itself. Thomas, you all know Thomas to be doubting Thomas. Thomas had doubted. He was not with the apostles for whatever reason on Easter Sunday when they were hiding for fear of the Jews. This shows the weakness of their faith, not just Thomas who doubted these accounts of the resurrection, but it also showed the weakness of the various disciples hiding in fear. But when they saw the resurrected Christ, they believed. They saw him. They knew for sure that his word was true and right as he had said and if Christ, who, had, if, who is risen, had he not been raised, our faith would be in vain and we would have no hope. But since Christ has been raised, our trust and our confidence are now in Christ Jesus. But we learned something else about faith in today's gospel that many do not consider. It's a quote, and honestly, I do not remember where I got this from but it was in my notes. Faith has its origin in fear and terror, in, remo in remorse and sorrow. Now, of course, faith always rests in and clings to our Lord Jesus Christ. But look at what the apostles had gone through in these days leading up to our Lord's crucifixion, the time of his crucifixion and his burial and then in this past week of our Lord's resurrection. Have you considered why the apostles were such staunch and ardent defenders of the Christian faith? Why they were willing to risk their own lives in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why they were willing to even be martyred on behalf of their proclamation of the gospel. Did they have str such strong faith just because they were inherently strong individuals with strong minds, rather stubborn people? Or was it a different, or did that strong faith come to them for a different reason? 
Well, God the Holy Spirit was at work to make them willing to do this, of course. And the way in which the Holy Spirit did it is through the work that he had done, through the experiences that they had faced, both in what they went through at the time of our Lord's passion and our Lord's resurrection, and also through the word, through the law, and through the gospel. And so they had such strong faith because of that fear and terror, remorse and sorrow that they had endured. For they witnessed the crucifixion of our Lord. And when Jesus was laid in the tomb, they were terrified for their lives. But when Jesus rose from the grave, they were glad to see the Lord. They were comforted. They had no reason to fear or doubt any longer because they knew that Jesus had now overcome sin, death, and the grave, the devil himself, and so they had nothing else to fear. So again, consider this. Faith has its origin in fear, in terror, in remorse, and sorrow. Most people want faith without any type of fear, terror, remorse, or sorrow. They just simply want to believe in some friendly guy who lives in the sky without considering any consequences of their own sinfulness or without considering God as being one who will judge and without considering that we all deserve death and condemnation for our many sins. In order for us to have true faith, we have to face fear and terror, remorse, and sorrow. Some of that comes from the trials that we face in our lives. But then, a main aspect of it comes through the Word of God. That is through the law of God, which accuses us. We hear of our sin and we can do nothing but plead guilty. We have fear and terror of what our, the law describes of our sin and what we deserve for our sin temporal punishment and eternal death. And then the Holy Spirit works in us contrition as we hear this law, which is sorrow, remorse and sorrow for our many sins. That is a work of God. And many would rather skip all of this, but that is really the beginning of true faith. So if you've not gone through such times and remain indifferent and secure in your sin, it's possible then that you remain unconverted. But look at what God does and thinks about your sin. Recognize how serious sin truly is. You can see what God thinks of sin, how he truly hates it, by considering the punishment that Jesus endured to reconcile you from your, to your God and redeem you from your sin. If sin were no big deal, Jesus would not have gone to the grave. He would not have gone through such punishment. He would not have suffered the wrath of God and being forsaken by our Father in heaven. But instead, because of what sin is, what God thinks of sin, Jesus had to endure all of that for your redemption. So having been accused of sin, being filled with fear and terror, and then having remorse and sorrow through this godly contrition worked by God the Holy Spirit, we are now ready to receive the gospel, to hear it, and to receive it with wide open arms and to rejoice in what we have in Jesus Christ, that what he offers us with the forgiveness of sins, eternal life and salvation, grants to us peace with God and comfort to our troubled consciences. You see, there is no faith without the cross. And so our Lord Jesus took up his cross and paid for your sins there. 
shedding his innocent blood for you. He rose from the grave to declare his victory. And our Lord connects his cross to your own life when he declares to you, take up your cross and follow me. There is no faith without crosses that we bear, just as there is no Savior apart from the cross of Christ. We see a picture of all of this in today's gospel. The apostles were terrified. They had sinned against Christ when they fled from our Lord, when Jesus was put on trial. Peter himself had denied Jesus three times. Thomas, upon hearing the reports of the resurrection, doubted that Jesus had truly been raised from the dead. You can see in all of this that they had all fallen, but then God restored them as Jesus appeared to them, and they were glad to see the Lord. And what does God do? He forgives them. He announces to them his forgiveness, which gives us to another fruit of the resurrection. So we've heard about this grace. We've heard about this faith. And the fruit of the resurrection is joy. Joy. The disciples were glad to see the Lord. They were joyous that Jesus had now overcome death and the grave and our sin. And we too are filled with joy over what Jesus has done for us. Many Christians gather at Christmas and Easter because they know that they will sing joyous hymns and they will hear a joyous message of Christ's birth and Christ's glorious resurrection. But you know what? Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, this joyous word is proclaimed Sunday after Sunday. We recall Christ's birth every Sunday as we sing the liturgy. Glory be to God on high and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And we recall our Lord's resurrection every Sunday as we gather on the day that he rose from the dead and as we acknowledge that our risen Christ gives to us his gifts, the forgiveness of sins, the sacrament of the altar. And so in great joy, we hear Christ's word and we go to the Lord's altar to receive his body and blood. Another fruit of the resurrection is the comfort that God grants to troubled consciences. When that law accuses us and we go through that fear and terror or that sorrow, our consciences become unsettled. It clearly happened to the disciples, but when they saw the risen Lord and Jesus said to them, peace be with you, their consciences were now assuaged and he was bestowing on them his forgiveness. You see, Many people think of this phrase, peace be with you, as a mere greeting, a sort of well-wish. But when Jesus appeared before his disciples behind locked doors when they were hiding for fear of the Jews, Jesus didn't say, well, I now wish for you some good days. Things have got to get a little bit better than they've been lately. But instead, when Jesus said, peace be with you, Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. You are reconciled to God. You have peace with God. Can there be anything more comforting to troubled consciences than these words of our Lord? And so when Jesus continues to say, peace be with you in the divine service, he is tr truly bestowing upon you his peace. You'll hear of this peace. As I close the sermon, you hear of this peace right before you come forward to receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, right after the words of institution are spoken. And this peace is granted to you. Your consciences can then be at rest for God forgives you and restores you just as Jesus restored Peter and Thomas in very special and particular ways. 
another fruit of the resurrection is one that we've been talking about quite a bit, which is the forgiveness of sins. Jesus connects his resurrection with the forgiveness of sins for the very day that Jesus rose from the grave, appearing before these disciples, he institutes the ministry and he says, peace be with you. And then he goes further, breathing on his disciples and saying, as the Father sent me, I also send you. Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Which gets us to another fruit of our Lord's resurrection, the, the establishment of the office of the keys. And as you've learned in the catechism, the office of the keys is that special authority which Christ has given to his church on earth to forgive the sins of repentant sinners, but to withhold forgiveness from the unrepentant as long as they do not repent. In fact, forgiveness of sins is granted to us by Jesus, and this, this encompasses everything that we have already now heard concerning the fruit of the resurrection. So forgiveness means we are bestowed, that we are restored to grace. Without forgiveness, it is impossible that we could stand, have a good standing before God. Forgiveness gives us every reason for faith. We have every reason to fear, love, and trust in God because he comes to us with forgiveness. God comes to us in mercy, taking our sins away and declares us righteous. And so in, in this, through the proclamation of Christ and forgiveness, the Holy Spirit is working, saving faith in sinners. Forgiveness brings true joy. Forgiveness means that our troubled consciences can now be uh, comforted. Forgiveness means peace with God. And forgiveness means the office of the keys is effective and powerful. So now we have heard the fruit of the resurrection. God grant you a blessed joy, a holy hope, and a special comfort in the forgiveness of sins earned by our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ throughout this Easter tide. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.